Thanks so much, Ryan. Great. Good morning, all. And uh, it's great to see some faces again. I haven't seen for a bit. Um, we, uh, we've just got back from Cape Town a couple of days ago. And uh, sadly, uh, I, th- I think you catch things on the plane or something, but my wife caught something. So she's sorry she can't be with us today. She's been a big since Friday. Um, so we are hoping to get her strong before work tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, but it's a real uh, treat to be back with you today. And I've, I wanted today to consider the temple of God, which sounds like, well, you know, big yawn. But um, how it's changed from the Old to the New Testament, although God himself has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we know that um, God doesn't change, but how, have, how do we relate now as the temple of God? How does he relate to his temple between the old and the new covenants? Um, and we know that the Old Testament is in the new revealed, and the new is in the old concealed. We've heard that, I'm sure, many times. So if we better understand a few brief points about the Old Testament temple, does that change um, how we relate to the temple as we understand it today? And mixed in with all this is our response or attitude to the temple of God. And does our response sometimes need to be, uh, I think, examined or fine-tuned? Uh, so let's just sort of, um, by thinking about some of the things about the, te- the temple in the Old Testament, can we open a prayer as we start there? I'm going to need all the help I can get, and I'm going to ask you to help us all. Eh? So, Heavenly Father, it's really a, a great privilege to meet with like-minded people and to to really sing your praises, to to discuss how to know you better, how to worship you better, how to love you more, how to really um, focus on you throughout the trials we face in life. And so, Father, I really pray today that you would um, yeah, do, do, do your work through me today and do your work in all of us today. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would bring fresh revelation, fresh um, encouragement, fresh conviction if need be. But, Lord, just that we would know you in a deeper and deeper way uh, as we hear from your word today. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. So, uh, there's going to be a lot of scriptures today, and more important you hear from, from God, of course, than from me. But um, one of the parts of the Old Testament that's really fascinating, actually, is the old tabernacle in Solomon's temple. Now, besides it's painting some really great images of Jesus and what he's come to do, one of the main purposes was so that God would have a tangible way of dwelling with and revealing himself to his people. So I'm going to read two short sections of scripture from the Old Testament that talk about God having this dwelling place and what it was for. So we're going to be looking for the purposes of God in this. And the first one is from 2 Chronicles 2, 5 and 6, and it's Solomon speaking. And he says, The house that I am to build will be great. For our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to 
built him a house. Since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him. Who am I to build a house for him except as a place to make offerings before him? So that's one of the purposes of, of our temple as we come to the temple. We also look at Psalm 84, the first couple of verses. How lovely is it? How, sorry, how lovely is your dwelling place, our Lord of hosts? My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the living Lord of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living Lord. So these verses talk about a physical place. The temple was a physical building, and, and that's obvious, but I'm mentioning that because it's going to be relevant to the temple in the New Testament. Um, it's a physical place where God could dwell with his people and a place where people could gather and worship and in some way experience God, that could meet with God. And for David, as we saw it in Psalm 84, it was just a, a place that he longed to be, longed to be in God's presence. Again, 1 Kings 8 just re-emphasizes that, that um, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. So it's important we don't think of the temple as being, <laughs> that's God in a box. Uh, God is just so much more than that. And as David told us as, um, as well, we have also mentioned it doesn't contain all of God. But it was just a tangible way for God to be with his people. It was a dwelling place in a sense where God came and could start to reveal himself. So as we all know, the heart of the temple of God was the Holy of Holies that contained the Ark of the Covenant and no one could just saunter in there casually for fear of being struck dead. In fact, only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies and he only went in there once a year to make sacrifice for himself and the people. And apparently, he would have a rope tied around his ankle that in case he went into the Holy of Holies irreverently and got struck dead, he could be dragged out by the other priests. They wouldn't go in there to get him. If he'd been taken out, no one else going to follow. And so they would have a rope tied around his ankle to pull him out. Um, so just a very brief look, because I've got so much to get through today, and I'm going to probably won't even quite verses all of them, but I've got the notes if anyone wants them. You can look at, look at them up afterwards. But just to summarize the old temple and how it looked, um, firstly, the temple could not contain all of God. Uh, it was a physical place where God, where God would be. People could gather and worship God there. People could experience God in the temple as it was a way for God to meet with his people. God could start to reveal himself, his nature, and his nature there. It was a place that those who love God would long to be. And also, it was a place where the fear of God was very real. Fear of God was very real. Now, my question, I suppose, is, is God himself still worshipped, experienced, revered, and feared in the New Testament temple today? How do we relate to God today? So that brings me to the, the New Testament and what the temple is. And I'm sure that you already know what the temple is, but I'm just going to read a few verses. 1 Peter 2, verse 4 onwards, says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built, in as, uh, built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we see in, in verse 4 that in the New Testament now, we are living stones being built into a spiritual house. As the church, each of us is a living stone in the house of God. Now, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul puts it this way. He says in verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So Paul talks about us as a temple. Peter talks about us as a living stones in a spiritual house. So either people today are going to accept or reject God or Jesus. There's no middle ground. But once we come and accept who he is and what he's all about, we become these living stones, part of the place where God dwells with mankind. That's such an awesome responsibility that we become living stones full of the Holy Spirit. And most of what God is going to do in the world is going to be done through us, through the faithful and the obedient Christian church, these living stones. God's going to do that work through us. <clears throat> now, it's all about revealing the invisible God to this world. For us, as the church, as the temple. We are to reveal the inv invisible God to the world. And we take the place, I suppose, of that temple or tabernacle. So when we come to this passage in Peter, he's teaching us that we Christians, the church, have the same purpose as the Old Testament temple. And perhaps that's why when Paul teaches about the Lord's Supper, and we're going to be doing that later, uh, but this is a, a part of what I'd love you to hold on to. Um, he says, near the end of the teaching on the Lord's Supper, he says this, from 1 Corinthians 11, from verse 27, whoever therefore eats uh, the bread, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So this body is so important to God because it's a, it's a body of living stones, and it's God's temple. So the unity of Christ's body is so important to God. It's, it's really, and, and we know in John 13, Jesus talks about, they will know you uh, by your love. They will know you are my disciples if you have love for each other. The love and the unity is such a big thing uh, in Christ's temple. Why? Well, Paul tells in Ephesians 2 from verse 20, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So it's amazing. We are not just carefully thrown in, a bunch of stones, a bunch of bricks for the temple. He carefully joins us together in him, and we become a temple for God. Quite sobering. We are now the dwelling place of God. We are the way that God is going to reveal himself to the people of this world. The way that God is going to manifest himself to the world. And we read that in Ephesians 3 verse 10, Paul carries on. Um, God's purpose in all this 
was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to the unseen, to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his, his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God is building his church, one living stone at a time, one person at a time. And he carefully joins each person who comes to him into his temple. It's not just like, well, you know, you are saved there, join in, <laughs> plug in. He's actually joining us to his temple. And um, <clears throat> just like he did with the tabernacle and the temple, when it's done right, the glory of God is going to be shown through us. And the way this happens, it tells us in the passage, is when we come to Jesus. So it's very important that Christianity is not about joining a church or just meeting with like-minded people. Our Christianity is about coming to Jesus. And as we come to Jesus, he, he carefully builds us into his temple. He carefully joins us into a church that we can have fellowship and communion. And, but the, the important thing is it's about coming to Jesus, not about coming to church. Coming to church is very important, but we've got to come to Jesus. And we've got to understand him and understand his purpose in this world and his purpose for us. And I just think of Hudson Taylor. And he, just a quote from Hudson Taylor. He said, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him. And I ended up by asking God to do his work through me. And I think that kind of shows the stages I know for my life. But when I became a Christian, Lord, help this, Lord, help that, help me at school, help me with getting there, help me keep me safe. It's all about me. But as you grow in God, Lord, can I help you? No, oh, there's a thought. It's no longer about me, but can I help you, Lord? And actually, when you realize you grow a bit more in God, God doesn't need my help. But Lord, all you do, you work through me. I really want to experience, Lord, being a co-worker with you, and I've got nothing to offer. But if you do your work through me, I give me hands and feet. I love that. So we understand his purpose in this world and his purpose for us as we grow in God. And uh, not everyone's there. That's fine. You grow. You, you learn. You become, you become like that. We don't come lightly. It's so important. We don't come casually into the presence of God. Uh, and I've had to repent of being just very casual with God, having, I don't know, <laughs> I won't, I won't, I'll probably make <laughs> Big condemnation of I shall, I have been so casual with God, but but really I just I've got to come before God with reverence and awe. And I think of Acts chapter five with Ananias and Sapphira, and how Ananias sold a piece of land, and uh, and he agreed with Sapphira that they they say they've got this much for it and keep the rest for themselves. So they came to the apostles and they said, "This is what you got." And they said, "Yes," and they said, "You've not lied to men, but to God." And we read in verse uh, of chapter 5, Acts 5, verse 5, great fear, because God, he, he was killed instantly, he dropped dead. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. And uh, three hours later, his wife came in, Sapphira, and um, they said, is this the price you got? He said, yes. And again, they said, the, the feet of the guys who took Gazman out, they're coming back to get you. And she dropped dead. And we read again, a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. There was a great fear came upon the church in the New Testament. 
So who in our humanness, as who of us, has always been perfectly straight? Uh, I mean, I, if I was landing up in that church, I would be in flattened immediately. But in our humanness, who can come before a great God without getting burnt? And I suppose that's really what I want to share on today now, is our deep reverence in the fear of God that I want to talk about. Because my major concern for the church, for God's people in 2022, is that I think there's just a real lack of fear in the church of God, a lack of reverence. We've heard so much about God's love, God's love, God's love, God's love. Once saved, always saved, all this stuff, which I personally don't agree with. I, from God's point of view, I think once saved, you're saved. You have that assurance. But we can mess up. We can not work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So that's my, my understanding. But um, we read in Jeremiah 22, verse 19, sorry, 2, 19. He talks about how your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will, apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. So the Bible warns us we have to fear him. And then the fear of God leads to a number of things. And I've got a whole lot of verses here. I won't go through them all, but it leads to in Proverbs 111, the beginning of the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Um, Proverbs 1. So that was Psalm 111. Proverbs 1. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, we see the fear of the Lord in Latin Proverbs is the hatred of evil. Um, Proverbs 16, the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And occasionally, okay, so there's all these things. The fear of God is so important for us uh, to, to, to understand and to really to get hold of. Because while we're coasting along here saying God's love, God's love, God's love, and there's nothing we need to worry about, nothing we need to fear, um, I... Personally, I um, think we've got that wrong. And if I can say this is great love, because truth without love is just brutal. And love without truth is just licentious. So I, I want to say this not from the point of view of someone who's arrived. I haven't. But I want to explain how the fear of God works in our lives to bring us, to keep us safe, to bring us closer to God. We taught in so many verses, and there's, there's probably, I did a search in, the, in Eastward, and I found, I, I think it was literally hundreds of verses that had fear not in it. But I just, one or two here, in Deuteronomy 6, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Deuteronomy 10, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God, all your heart and with all your soul. And this, I've got many, many more here. Um, just serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Uh, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Uh, many more like that. But equally, we are told not to fear when God's with us. There are so many verses. Again, there's many, many verses that say, fear not. Um, Genesis 26, the Lord appeared to him in the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. 
um, Isaiah, many verses of Isaiah. Now, thus says the Lord, He who creates you, O Jacob, he who forms you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Um, another one, uh, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Um, and again, like I said, there's, there's a lot. And um, I, I want to try to understand this apparent contradiction because on the one hand, we are told it's absolutely essential that we fear God. And on the other hand, we're told fear not. Well, I think the, the obvious thing is, the first thing to explain is that there was a quote I heard somewhere that if you fear God, you'll fear nothing else. So fear not is when God's with you, he's saying, don't be afraid of anything else. I'm with you. So we don't have to fear anything else. We just have to fear God. Now, the fear of the Lord is absolutely essential for new believers and actually for all believers. The fear of the Lord is really important. In my own life, I think of growing up with a very healthy fear of my dad. And I don't know if I've shared this before, but uh, my dad had one rule. <laughs> he was a very strict guy. And he said he would only ever tell us something once. He wasn't going to nag and banter and argue. And, you know, if he said clean your room, it was just once, he'd tell you. After that came the consequence for not cleaning your room. There was a whack. I remember a, a, a little friend of mine, we were, I can't remember, we were about seven years old or something. And um, my folks on the farm, um, they had a, a, there was a braai up on the terrace and there was a pool down below. And uh, he just called out. There was a whole bunch of folk, um, friends of ours, his friends, their friends. And he just, he finished brawling. He said, lunchtime. So I know. <laughs> I'm that side of the pool, but I run around straight for lunch. But my little mate, Gavin, he came to lunch by going in the pool and coming out. <laughs> well, my dad... I, honestly, he was, he was quick. I couldn't believe it. But uh, he was there. As the guy came out the water, picked him up. Whack! <laughs> when I say it's lunchtime, it's lunchtime. And um, he was just really, very really strict. And in, in the latter years, uh, before he passed away, he actually did apologize. He said he thinks he was a bit too strict, you know. <laughs> but um, anyway, our friends had a healthy fear of my dad. But they also knew that as long as they were obedient, he was a great guy, great sense of humor, loved people, generous, kind, godly guy. So my friends knew to be very obedient, listen when he said something, <laughs> don't misunderstand him, get it right first time. <laughs> but, but they knew they were safe with that. And uh, so fear keeps us from evil and from living for ourselves and leads us, leads to us obeying the commands of God. Just like a fear of crocodiles or hippos keeps us from swinging across the Zambezi or the Limpopo, uh, border jumping, whatever it is, um, the fear of the Lord can be a very healthy thing. The fear of the Lord actually keeps us safe. So I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord in a negative way at all. I'm saying we, we need to fear God, uh, but I want to go deeper with that and understand that better. Um, Paul tells us in Philippians 2.12, and we know the verse of quoted just now, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think there's a little key there. Don't work out anyone else's salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So 
as I looked at this and I've, I've thought about it and I've meditated on it, and uh, this verse jumped out at me, and it's from 1 John 4.18. And this is such a key to fear or fear not, to understanding this a bit deeper. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So let's put that together with in the next chapter, 1 John 5, in verse 2 and 3, where he says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. Verse 3, and this is the key. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I think one of the absolute keys for us as Christians is that God's commandments are not burdensome. We actually delight, we love keeping God's commandments. We, commandments. we love his word, we love his gospel. We love his will. We love his ways. We love his word. And uh, I heard an illustration a while ago. It's just an illustration. It's not true. But um, it's a, well, there's, a, there's truth in it. The principles there. But um, uh, a young man went across from Zimbabwe to China to get a degree. Now, the reason he picked China was, his, it was because his dad was the, Chinese, the ambassador from Zim to China. So he was the Zimbabwe ambassador in China. So the son arrives there, and he doesn't speak much in Chinese. He's done a crash course, and he speaks very, very little Chinese. Not enough to really get by. Uh, but he's told at the beginning, listen, you are the ambassador's son. You're going to pass anyway. You've got a pass mark. But you do need to attend the courses. So he says, okay, cool. Well, I, I'm, I don't really speak the language. I'm ambassador's son. I'm going to pass. at a favorite status here. But... Um, as he goes to course, he meets this Chinese girl, and she is just, he just can't take his eyes off her, and it's very broken Chinese, he tries to get to know her. Before he met her, was his, well, did he have much incentive to learn Chinese? He had a pass mark anyway. But having met this girl, man, he wants to learn Chinese quick. <laughs> and he wants to he wants to get to know her, and, uh, and suddenly learning Chinese is not burdensome. It's it's a delight. How do you how do you say that? Oh wow! And and he's he's just lapping it up, and within two weeks he's like fairly fluent, you know. Um, and I think it's like that for us. The, the for God's commands can seem burdensome if we're living for ourselves, and He's saying, "Don't live for yourselves. You've got to live for Me." And you're going to ah. But if you fall in love with God, if you love God, they're a delight. And we see King David um, in Psalm 40, verse 8, says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And, and later in Psalm 119, from verse 92 onwards, If your law had not, not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. For David, God's law, he loved it. He loved coming to the presence of God. And I think for many people who call themselves Christians, and I can say this very lovingly, but I think there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who find it a drag to have to behave themselves. <laughs> you have to keep on the straight and narrow. They kind of like that detour. And they quite enjoy those detours. And I must say, that's certainly been true for me. And as I've grown in God, I found out that at the point of making a decision to have too much to drink or 
whatever it is, you're not believing the promises of God, you're believing the lie that says this will bring you happiness. And when you, as you grow in God and you get to know deeper and deeper relationship with God, actually God's word is so much, God's promises are so much better for you. God's law is my delight. And we, we grow in that. I, I remember when I was young, I used to think that one John was like an impossible book. I mean, one John was like, phew, I need, I need the apostles to reach up this, this standard. Who would live like that in one John? John? One John is just such incredible commandments that we don't sin anymore and things like that. And as I've grown older, I've realized that one John has become a delight for me. I love that. And uh, it's no pleasure to go and live for yourself in the same way. And I've still got a lot of self in me. I really have. I'm not there. But um, I just think what keeps David safe was the fact that he loved. We can't keep God's law. We can't keep going in obedience to God's law if we don't love it. If it's just a paraphrase thing, I've got to tie this week. I've got to go to church. I've got to do that. I've got to pray. I should have my quiet time. There's no joy in that. There's no, there's no delight. And in fact, we won't keep it up. We just not keep it up. But when your quiet time becomes a delight, when you just love to spend time with God, come to His temple, you'll do that daily, every day, with with pleasure. It's become such a wonderful part of the day. So, why do we fear God? We fear stepping out uh, of the commandments of God. We fear doing our own thing, living for ourselves and not for Him. And there's so many areas of my life, even now, so many areas of my life where I think, Scott, do you prefer your comfort or do you prefer sacrificing for God, whatever God's got? Is there more delight for you in, in, in watching TV or reading the Word or listening to a sermon or something? Well, honestly, I've got to ask myself questions. <laughs> Last night I couldn't sleep. I, I got up at midnight and then... Um, I, I, I listened to John Bell from last week, last week we were in Cape Town, so, and I hadn't heard his message. And I was wide awake, I couldn't sleep, I went to bed off eight anyway, so I had a good night, really had a good night's sleep. And I could have watched some YouTube clip on tiny houses or, uh, you know, cats and dogs or something. But I listened to John Bell, and he's a great, great teacher anyway, as you know, but I was so blessed by his message from last Sunday. I was so blessed, and I thought, wow, Lord, this is far more fruitful than watching cute dogs on, on YouTube, you know, or whatever I was going to do. Um, so I think, I think our delight needs to become, what, uh, become God's word, God's law. Even Paul says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, in Romans 7.22, I delight in the law of God. And I think what really separates Christians from want to be Christians, if I can call them that, is, is our delight in God, our love for God. When we love God, we do things His way. And I don't think I've explained it very well, and I, I apologize, my words are, I'm not getting it, but when it says perfect love, it casts out fear. If we love God perfectly, we obey Him perfectly. And if we obey Him perfectly, we have nothing to fear. My little mates who came around to play, they wouldn't bury me, I don't know why. But, but they knew that if they obeyed my dad, they'd have a great time at our place. He was part of the fun. 
But this is bam, and there was a consequence. And I must say, you know, we often think, um, there's, why is so much happening in these days and there's no consequence? There's so much evil in the world, there's no consequence. And I, I remember hearing a message on um, justice denied is not, sorry, justice delayed is not justice denied. So we, we don't, don't think that people are going to go to the forever. God is slow to anger, a lot slower than my dad was to anger. God, God, God will, everything will be ready. The foundation is of strength. Psalm 84. Uh, the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice. And steadfast love and faithfulness go before him. So God is a God of love, absolutely. But there will be a day where we've got to go and account for what have we loved most, what have we found to be our delight most. So if we, just to wrap up, and then we'll, we'll go into communion, but if we truly are to be like five wise virgins in Matthew 25, five were ready, five were not. They're all virgins, but five were ready. We need to be ready when Jesus returns, and what will that look like? So as I understand God's word to us, we will be walking in the fear of stepping outside of the commands of God. The fear of God is a fear of consequence if we are outside of God's commands. So we will therefore be walking in obedience to all that God requires of us, and as such we need to have, we need have no fear of God if we walk in obedience. Um, um, we will be temples of God where, and if I can just bring some parallels to the Old Testament, again, we certainly don't in any way contain God. God's Holy Spirit lives in us. But we don't contain God. Not at all. Um, we represent a physical place where God dwells on earth today. Amazing that you and I have that incredible privilege and responsibility of being a physical place where God dwells if His Holy Spirit lives in us. People might know and worship God better and more intimately as they meet God through us and we can be an encouragement. Others might be drawn to us as there's something about us. We are the fragrance or the aroma of Christ that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 2.15. We are that aroma of Christ. We also have the aroma of death to those who don't know Christ. Um, it's a warning for them. But our presence might convict people of their sin because of the fear of God for disobedience that we have. If we fear, people say, ah, oh, come, come out to a club or whatever it is, I'm not sure. Just fill your taxes this way, not that way. And we say, actually, no, I, I fear God. I'm not going to bend the rules. I'm not going to take shortcuts. And people say, oh, wow. You fear God, really? God's just love. Oh, no. Justice delayed is not justice tonight. God is coming and we will have to give an account. But if you love God perfectly, you don't have to fear him at all.